in terms of earning trust, it's just like how you would earn anyone's trust. Like you be respectful, you listen. Mm -hmm. We weren't there to like tell their story. I kind of like cringe at that. Like they were, we were just like facilitating. It wasn't, it wasn't our story to tell or shape. That's writer, filmmaker, and producer, Anna Callahan. And this is the Wilder Mind Podcast. My mind grows wilder When I stoke that fire inside Hear the call in the distance It's a long road worth your while Hey, hi, hello everyone and welcome to the Wilder Mind Podcast. I am your host, Cody Cameron, and thank you so much for being here with the pod. Today, we'll hear the insightful and visionary words of Anna Callahan, straight from the mobile recording studio, Savannah, the Vanna. We were very fortunate to record during a climbing trip in Red Rock Canyon National Conservation Area in Nevada. Anna and boyfriend Mike Coyle were well into a nine-day working and rock climbing trip in the desert when we met up. I very much want to know that Mike is a heck of a great guy and guides with Alpine Ascents and Colorado Mountain School. Guides in my book cannot get enough positive exposure, so please check the show notes for ways to contact Mike and the companies he guides with and consider reaching out for your next vertical adventure. I want to give a very special thank you to Prana and their kind collaboration for outfitting us for this episode. Through this, we have been able to reveal some behind-the-scenes footage with our collective social communities. This really does mean quite a bit to me, as the reason behind the pod is to share the stories of those that seek their ideal level of greatness through bravery, strength, compassion, and altruism. Anna exemplifies each of these elements, and I'm thrilled to have the chance to get to know her and do what I can to share her shine with the world. Down with the shine, the perfect shine That poisons the well and ruins my mind I get to for a ride every time Down with the glistening As I started out west from Salt Lake, I realized how much power we all hold in our lives. It can take a lot to believe it. And for some of us, that takes the shape of holding too tightly to what we see as mistakes, only to later realize they were just steps in the journey towards our truth. And that's fine. That's beautiful. After all, how can one take true measure of their life if there is no contrast? I still fear more than I care to admit the weight of my choices. I stare at the blank spaces and wonder if I'm filling them with meaning or distraction. The unfamiliar bends in the road lead to views that from time to time seem vaguely familiar of somewhere I've been before. And for a moment, I exist in an idea of a memory. I sit beside this familiar feeling and wonder if each action of our lives is simply a parenthetical. And perhaps it is. And if so, then we can ride on. We can head west and know that we are not meant to change the meaning, but live with it. The sentence of life is short. We live before we die. 
The meaning is an emphasis. We live before we die. So go live the hell out of your life now. Live without fear of the unknown because it is the unknown that will reveal to you the absolute splendor of this life. As Bukowski says, we are here to laugh at the odds and live our lives so well that death will tremble to take us. Anna Callahan, your resilience to rage for what you believe in, to seek a life worth living and stories worth telling, have given new energy to this part of my life. Even the night around the campfire that led to a spontaneous and inebriated podcast recording revealed a truth that cannot be denied of its brilliance. Do what feels right. Do what makes you happy and do what you want to do when you want to do it before the moment passes. And even if you wake up with a pounding head and a sore everything, you can redo the damn thing. So... Let's do the damn thing. You home Anna Callahan. Here we are again. <laughs> Round two. This time, sober. <laughs> Nobody needs to know about the first episode. Of oh, no, they're going to know. I'm going to move this closer again. It has to be like uncomfortably close to your mouth. Great. Sorry. There it is. Oh, that's perfect. No, they're definitely going to know. I'm going to... I mean, they already know now. <laughs> Sorry. We've told them. We've told them. So, um, yes. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and redo it all. Redo everything word for word. <laughs> You have to remember all of it now. I do not. <laughs> I don't remember what we talked about. <laughs> but it was a great day. Yesterday was awesome. Yesterday was um, great. Yeah, climbing out here. Uh, it, what wall was that? The, oh. The panty wall. The panty wall. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just make you say that. I actually forgot for a second what yes. it was. No, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, we climbed at the panty wall. Yes, we did. <laughs> it was great. Um, and you have been out here for a week now. Yeah, I'm on my ninth day. Dang. Yeah. What was the impetus for nine days out here? Um, yeah, my boyfriend's out here working and it was a chance to work from Vegas oh, and yeah. climb mostly every day and yeah. that sounded pretty fun. Heck yeah. So I did it. And having that, uh, the freedom to work from where you want to work, um, how did that come about? Cause that's something I think a lot of people are seeking in their lives. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I quit my full-time job two years ago. Um, and that was just based on a desire to have complete control over my schedule Yeah, because it was kind of production life and we would leave tomorrow for 10 days and, you know, kind of like cancel your plans type of thing. Um, and I just wanted to be able to decide my whole schedule. That was like sort of my only reason. I knew I could freelance doing what I do, which is like film stuff and writing stuff and editing things. And, um, so I just wanted to be able to be my own boss and kind of do what I wanted. It was one of those maneuvers. Isn't it strange that um, that has to be something that we have to seek out and exercise uh, certain amounts of privilege in order to achieve when, when you say it out loud, that should be something that we all have anyways. Mm -hmm. uh, and we talked uh, a good lot about that yesterday 
the, the privilege in being able to make that sort of choice where it's hard when people come and say, Anna, how did you do this? Yeah. Um, and it can be tough when someone may not have the same privileges that, that you or I are afforded. No, the ability to think about making that decision and acting on that decision comes from a place of immense privilege. Just to even, you know, be like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to do it. And to be able to do it, to think about doing it is a very lucky thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that I was impressed with, and you had me thinking a lot yesterday when, you know, we talked and I'd said something to the, to the effect of, you still have to have the courage to say yes to that privilege in going and doing those things. Um, but you, you continue a little further on that, how that in itself is also, there was privilege and advantage, I think we mm-hmm. were talking about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we talked about just being able to make the decision um, and, you know, it, I think the framework is usually like, oh, it's like so brave of you to like quit your job and, you know, quit the stability of a paycheck and like, sure, I guess so. Um, But that's like sort of also an insane conversation about privilege. It's not brave. I don't think Um, I didn't I wasn't scared. Like I didn't think like, you know, I have support systems. I wasn't like. I, you know, I could go and I knew I could go get a job if I wanted to get a salary job again. And just being able to do that is really lucky. Um, and having, you know, doing the type of work that I can do freelance, that I can do remote, that I can like hop in and out of jobs really easily. Um, it's not like brave. <laughs> it's pretty, like, I don't know. It's like selfish. I want it. Like I told you, like I'll like, quit because I wanted control over my schedule and I wanted to do whatever I want. So it's funny. I'm, and I'm glad you use the word selfish because I've said that to several people who have asked. I said, you, you just have to be selfish. You have to understand that you're doing this purely for yourself. Yeah. Um, and you can do something really great with it. And hopefully you do. But the first decision is that you want control of, of things and yeah, and I've jokingly told people it almost feels like one of the more immature decisions mm-hmm. I've ever made to like quit my job and just go do what I want to do. Yeah. Um, but you have done some incredible, incredible things with it. Um, and one that I found really fascinating um, that we talked about yesterday. and um, Sacred Strides. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I... I I can I have a different name in my head for whatever reason and it won't come out. But so we talked about sacred strides yesterday, and um, and again I I think that follows nicely with the privilege conversation and how you're so understanding of that. And I want to talk about that and unpack that a little bit. Where you're working with multiple indigenous tribes mm-hmm. who trust you with their story, but how do you earn that trust and how do you exercise? the advantages you already have going into it. Yeah. Um, they were having a special event and that was very important to them. Um, and we're, you know, willing to let us show up with cameras and in terms of earning trust, it's just like how you would earn anyone's trust. Like you be respectful, you listen. Mm-hmm. We weren't there to like tell their story. I kind of like cringe at that. Like they were, we were just like, facilitating it wasn't it wasn't our story to tell or shape um so we tried in in that to just let the story tell itself we weren't trying to be too heavy-handed with anything or we weren't you know we were we were filming like a documentary style yeah um and we just got we had everybody who wanted to talk talk um you know tell us why they were there um you know a lot of people you know they they ran for four days five days um (sighs) And a lot of people aren't, weren't runners. Um, 
but they did it anyway. Like we talked to a couple of people who were like, I was, you know, I never run more than a mile. I was really scared to like do the running part. Um, and it was, it was really cool watching people, you know, connect with each other over that. Um, big part of connecting with the land is seeing it and feeling it and touching it. And Absolutely. so they were able to experience, some of them were able to experience the land in a new way. Um, and yeah, it's important to be respectful of people's time and people's energy. And we, our goal was to try and stay as out of the way as possible. Cause it wasn't, yeah. we were, you know, we were trying to be flies on the wall. Um, Absolutely. we didn't want to be, um, you know, we were like a crew of white people. Um, that, that event was not for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we were really thankful that, you know, we were able to be there and, you know, that the film got into a bajillion festivals. Um, you know, it was in Banff, it was at Telluride. And so a lot of people ended up seeing it um, on the big screen. And, you know, their their voices went all over the U.S. It, the film showed internationally as well. So I think that's the coolest part of that. Absolutely. Um, in, in telling us their story, they told it to i don't know how many people saw it but certainly <laughs> thousands quite a few yeah. yeah which is cool and i i sense that there is and and i think maybe i'm sensing this because i have the same a conflict in being a storyteller and documenting these things and then talking about them as if they're yours right mm-hmm. um and then using your privilege as a white female or mine as a as a cisgender male to have access to those uh, mediums and the ways to, to share the stories. What does that look like internally for you when you're out in these areas with these these groups? And you really are, and though we might both cringe, you really are telling the story. Mm-hmm. You're putting it together, you're yeah, crafting I'm it. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just generally try and stay out of the way or don't, you know, I'm not going to try and restructure a narrative that I don't, I'm not the one to do that. You know, I don't know the narrative intimately. Um, so in, in that one in particular, like I, I'm trying to get out of the way of what I don't know. So if I know something really well, or I know someone really well, um, I feel comfortable, you know, taking a more active role in like telling the story. But if it's not my yeah. <laughs> experience or anywhere close to my experience, I'm going to try and stay out of the way. Like I can, I know how to, like in terms of telling a story, like I can shape it. Like I know how to structure it. Um, but you can do that in a way that's like, you're not, you can, you try and stay out of it. Yeah. Um, and that's impossible to do fully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of like space, um, I think just having access, I have access to platforms Yeah. and that's, I, you know, and that's how I do my job. And I think that's the cool thing. Like the stories that I write or like the films I work on get, get an audience, um, just inherently because of the platforms I have access to, which is cool. Yeah. So, and you, how did you get access to those platforms? As I understand it, if I remember correctly from the conversations, this was, started through an internship with outside correct and yes you were essentially the one out of a group that was willing to say yeah i'll do this work um yeah so i did an internship at outside in 2014 i was actually a print fellow they separated print and online interns back then wow um which is funny because now they're all the same it's kind of all the same um (laughs) 
And it wasn't even that long ago. That's nope. so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's just five years ago. Um, so I was mainly working in an assisting role. I did a lot of fact checking. Um, oh. Yeah. So that was like, that's like the bread and butter of that role is fact checking. But in fact checking, you basically re-report a story. And so it's cool to be fact checking like big features um, yeah. by some of their longtime writers and working with the editor to see how he's editing it, see how he looks at it. And then just, I'm, you know, re-reporting, like I'm listening to interviews. It was a really helpful tool and just like learning how wow. those stories come together. Um, and that one was, we, it was a, it was after the um, avalanche on Mount Everest that killed 16 Sherpas. And we had no time to turn it around for the print magazine, basically. Um, and I think that experience was, you know, particularly special because of that like I was very involved in it because we had we just had no time it was like all hands on deck um gotta get this story like written edited fact check so I was like got to see everything and that was really fascinating holy I didn't realize that would that's what something like that would involve Mm -hmm. and how do you how do you fact check something like that is it just calling resources pulling things up on the internet first you highlight every single fact wow um I did it I do it differently now if I fact check something, but I would print out the story and highlight every fact and check every fact. And then I would highlight it green if I had (laughs) checked the fact and I had, had, um, you know, sources to back it up. And then, yeah, I would call everyone in the story. Wow. And you just sort of ask them the same questions. Like, is it fair to characterize your response this way? Like, you never read them quotes or anything like that. Um, So you sort of have to just make sure that the that is the accurate portrayal of what they were saying and what they meant and when you fact check even when i like fact check my own stuff like you'll catch you catch a lot like i've never fact checked something and not caught anything that was wrong but yeah i mean sometimes it just you have to qualify things and it's just as easy as like a language wow like just a word tweak um but it's interesting can you imagine being like Trump's Twitter fact checker? It's no. <laughs> obviously he does uh, not have I think one. It'd be a little easier. <laughs> yeah, true. False, uh, false, 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 false. Yeah, it's, it's a super, it's a super tedious activity. Jeez. Um, so I don't. I didn't like. I liked doing it for what I learned from it, but I don't like doing it. <laughs> it's not something you enjoy. No. Nope. And where was the springboard from that to producing and to filming and and really creating stories and films and and this whole ecosystem you have. Yeah. Um, so that story that I worked on, I mean, I was able to like do, you know, I had created relationships with some of those sources just in checking it um, and was able to, you know, use them for future stories that I was writing on my own, um, which was cool. And to be able to cover... Like I was able to cover Mount Everest for outside for like, like do contribute coverage to that just sort of because of of the knowledge I'd gained fact checking that story um, and the sources I had from doing that as well. But um, so Grayson Schaefer, who wrote that story, uh, started a production company like six months after I left outside. I was freelancing in Seattle. He started a production company with Ryan Hefferton, who's a commercial photographer. Um, and they were, you know, trying to get the New Mexico tourism contract and they needed a producer. And Grayson was like, do you want to come back and produce? <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, yeah, I can't I can't say no to that job. Like I 
Yeah, absolutely. Had no, I had no video um, experience at all, but I was interested in it. Um, and I was, you know, I had like a GoPro <laughs> stuff that I'd like used, trying to use for some stuff. Um, I was like interested in trying to like do video with my stories. And it was mainly centered around that. I wanted to be able to like take photos and shoot video to make my stuff self more marketable Heck yeah to get hired for writing <laughs> um and was there for i guess two and a half years producing full-time wow um and there was just you know there's not many of us and so i was doing like all aspects of producing so that was a great way Damn. to learn but I, and i would press you a little bit and say that there is there is courage in saying yes to something like that where sure. you don't have the experience that you would want to have going into it, right? Mm-hmm. Like so you have a GoPro and maybe you dabbled in film. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how did you find the ability to say, yeah, I'll do this. I'm going to jump into something that, crap, maybe I'm not totally ready for, but I'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, when an opportunity is kind of like slapping you in the face, um, <laughs> I would have been pretty dumb to say no. I mean, I was making no money freelance writing. I like wrote, I was like writing some stuff for like Snowshoe Magazine. Wow. Like I was really <laughs> trying to. That is a very specific um, magazine. Yeah. So I was just like taking what I could get and was like having a hard time finding traction, which makes sense because I hadn't been in that world very long. And it takes a while. Yeah. Um, so like to turn down a, like a salaried job <laughs> didn't seem smart. And at that point I was just like, it was so isolating. I would just, you know, be work from home. I like didn't go to a coffee shop because buying a coffee was too expensive. Oh boy, yeah. So <laughs> I just would like be at home all day by myself. Yeah. Um, and it just wasn't. I wanted to work with other people directly, so I was like, okay. Yeah. I can't like. The, I'm interested in the work. Um, there will be other people in the office. <laughs> yes. Other and, humans to work with, and. Yeah, I mean, the only downside, I I didn't really want to leave Seattle. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. But um. Going back to New Mexico is actually great. Uh, oh, New Mexico, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah. And how did you end up in Boulder, where you are now? Um, another perk of freelance life. <laughs> um, my boyfriend and I were dating long distance, and we were trying to find a happy medium place, and he gets a lot of work in the front range, and Ooh, yeah. I can work from wherever, and was like oh, ready for a change. So I was yeah. like, okay, great, we'll move to Boulder. And your boyfriend, Mike, is mm-hmm. uh, he was guiding yesterday, yes. uh, Dark Shadows. Yes. And he's guiding maybe a cragging day today. Yeah, I think he's at the panty wall. The panty wall. Oh, he's back yeah. where it all started yeah. for, for this. Yes. <laughs> Before the drunk all back recording. <laughs> okay, so we've mentioned it a couple of times now, the drunk recording. It wasn't that bad, really. Just wasn't that good at the same time. We had quite a collection of friends around the campfire that night, and everyone had been out on some pretty great adventures. A few cheers later on, Anna and I decided it would be a great idea to record right then and there. Two things happened. First, we captured some amazing sound bites. And second, we talked for a really, really long time. Like, nearly two hours. But for your listening pleasure, here's a little gem. I don't know if you become a connoisseur of box wine. <laughs> it's the most sustainable option. Great place to start. How does one, Anna Callahan, become a connoisseur of boxed wine? You buy too many bottles, Cody, of wine. 
and you're like, I am negatively impacting the planet by buying all this glass. Oh. Turn to plastic lined cardboard and hope that that's the solution. Is I wonder if that is a solution. I don't know. Do we have we data should. on that? Greg? Greg, where's our data man? What's good? He walked away. Is is box wine better? He said I yes. I don't know. Okay. Well, Does it have anything to do with oh, what happened? listeners? Oh, Greg's breaking <laughs> into my van. Oh, it's going well. It's because free. the key is in there. You and, went well. And the, the lights. You well, well, the lights will turn off. You went well no... until Greg turned off the door. <laughs> so, I was hoping perhaps we could segue from the box wine to, to freelance life. Yeah, we can. Can it? You guys shut it because you're going to re- ruin this usable audio. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg's in the van now. Sorry, I'm just sitting this up. <laughs> this is going. This is my favorite one so far. Cody, you're gonna have to make people shut the door. <laughs> All right, this is. Okay, now to flip onto something quite serious. Anna and I talked at length about guiding, and honestly, I'm just gonna drop us all right into that important conversation. This is obviously a favorite topic of mine, just because my boyfriend works in the industry, so I sort of. You know, I see it and I, you know, pay more attention to it now. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that if I could change, um, you know, they don't, they're not, they don't get insurance. Like they're paid like as W2 employees most of the time. Um, but they, they don't get any insurance through their employees. So oh, I like didn't know that. He, you know, buys insurance off the exchange. Um, wow. But like it's, it's a catastrophic plan, obviously, cause that's. That's what I buy. It's yeah. cheapest. Um, but like if he gets hurt, he can't work. If he gets hurt while he's guiding, which I would say is rare, then he would get workers comp. But if he just gets hurt while he's out recreating, then he can't work at all because yeah. he uses his body. You know, guides use their body for work. So Absolutely. If they, if they break their arm, they can't work for however long it takes that arm to heal. Yeah. Um, and that's happened to him before. He got an injury and was like out of work. So it's like, you know, trying to find, you know, other work that is less physical. Yeah. Um, But like, that's, you know, one of the things like you, if you don't have insurance and then you get hurt, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so if you're a W2 employee, you're not an independent contractor, even though you behave like one. Uh So you can't write off any of your expenses. So when you're buying gear, you're just, you can't write that off. That's not a business expense. You like get the standard deduction. Um, so wow. taxes are like another thing I love as a free, freelancer. <laughs> um, but so I, that is, you know, kind of astonishing too. I think, I mean, you can figure out workarounds, um, but like you're, you're sort of an independent contractor by nature, but you don't get the benefits. The benefits. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I'm always like, what if you could just be an independent contractor and then like buy your own workers comp? Like what is the way around yeah. it? Um, and then, you know, in terms of, in terms of guiding, like, I, I hear, you know, guides telling stories of, you know, not like they weren't necessarily like their life wasn't necessarily at risk. Um, but, you know, on like Mount Rainier, you're tying yourself to people who it's a beginner's mountain. Anybody yeah. can sign up. You don't have to have done anything. You learn everything there. Like they learn, they teach you how to walk in crampons and how to self-arrest. doesn't mean that everybody picks up on that really fast yeah, or at certainly. all um so you know you're you're tied to you're tied to people who could it's it's steep at the top yeah if someone falls 
and nobody self rests like you hope that you can as the guide yeah <laughs> arrest the whole team um but you know people get tired and their footwork gets sloppy or they're nervous like there's a lot of ways <laughs> that can go south and so i think like you should tip your guide. Absolutely. You should definitely you should. tip your guide like 10 to 20%. It should be a very <laughs> sizable tip. 10 to 20%, but at least 10. Yeah. Um, I mean, think about like, think about what they're doing and they, they are risking their life for you. Absolutely they are. You are in a situation where you're depending on them to get you through all these technical, technical terrain and technical skills that you yourself haven't mastered and maybe yeah. don't even have at all. Because the terrain is life-threatening or at least can lead to some injuries. Yeah. And I mean, like hiring a guide is really expensive. I get that. So spending extra money to tip feels not the most fun. But they don't they don't get all that money. Absolutely it's like, not. Sort of like restaurant tipping, you know, like you're going to tip somebody who like brings you a steak yeah. 20%, but someone who like could have... Like, maybe they did save your life. Maybe you yeah. fell and they arrested your fall. Yeah, exactly. And you tipped them nothing. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a bummer. It definitely is a bummer. Yeah. And it's, you know, like, you and I, like, we go and we do, the way we recre recreate outdoors is inherently dangerous, but we've taken the time to build the skills to do that. And every now and then I get slapped in the face by seeing other people out there who are totally unsure of themselves, either with a guide being short-roped or even just walking up a very, very low angled, kind of just like a hill that happens to be above ground, mm -hmm. right? And how scared they get in, in that situation. And it just alerts me to how special it is that there are people like Mike out there willing to risk their safety for someone else's so that they can go enjoy these things that we just love to do. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And he likes that part. Like he loves you know, giving people access to things oh, that they don't, yeah. they can't do on their own. Like he loves that part of it when people get to the top of something and they're like amazed to be up there and like yeah. surprised that they got up there. And like, so facilitating those types of experiences is really cool. Um, but yeah, I'll throw, I'll throw my sister under the bus. I, was, <laughs> I took her to climb El Dorado Peak, which is in the North Cascades, just the two of us. Um, and we were up on like the upper mountain and... She was, like, a little nervous, um, and I could tell, like, when she was walking in her crampons, it was, like, not the most sure-footed, <laughs> and she was, like, oh, my God, I can't believe, like, Mike ties himself to people, like, I don't know if she compared it to herself, I can't believe Mike ties himself to people like me in the mountains, <laughs> like, she, like, in that moment had, like, this newfound sense of respect. Totally. And she was, like, I can't believe he does this, like, the guides do this all the time, like, why would you tie yourself to me? <laughs> It is crazy to think. I mean, that's even just taking friends out cragging for a day when they're learning skills. There's a, there's a, quite a bit of stress that goes with mm -hmm. that. It's it's a great thing, again, because you're introducing them to something so beautiful, but it's a lot of pressure. And that's in a fairly safe, facilitated scenario. When mm -hmm. you're out in the backcountry and you're tying someone to yourself, if something goes wrong, you're out in the backcountry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I took a wilderness first responder course this spring. Um which is cool. We did, it was desert mountain medicine put on all women's woofer. Oh, awesome. Um, and that was a cool learning environment just on its own. But in that course, I was like, how have I not taken this before? Like yeah. I felt like an idiot. It's like, these skills are so important. And like, I don't think if someone had gotten hurt with me and it was just the two of us, like out in the back country, I don't know how, I don't know how I would help. Honestly. Yeah. Um, like, 
I would have been upstream without a paddle. Yeah, totally. Downstream without a paddle. I would have been without a paddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of my things. I'm like, wow, how did, I can't believe, like, I can't believe I went so long without having that Yeah. training. I hate that because every time I have friends who talk about that and who've gone through it, I think, why have I not gone through it yet? The amount of time I spend outdoors, yeah. I should, and the amount of time I get hurt, I should go through But this. it's another thing, like, all this stuff is so expensive. Yeah. Like, those courses are expensive. Um, they're necessary. They're very um, necessary. But I do think it's funny. I was talking to Nadia, who runs Desert Mountain Medicine, and she was saying, like, go to a mountain town and you'll find everybody has taken an Abbey one course. Yeah. But what do they do when they pull you out of the hole like and you're hypothermic or you're injured like do they know how to treat that injury um and I was like that's a very good point it's a great point <laughs> um, yeah guides are expensive taking classes is expensive it's all really expensive and it's like exclusive in that way yeah which is a which is a bummer that is like, a bummer the access to these things access to the outdoors in certain sports is expensive access yeah. to the skills is expensive um that is critical and that de definitely needs to be discussed and it, it certainly is a barrier because it's easy to go out and just do these things right we saw that yesterday with the um some people climbing who they made mention that they learned how to climb from <laughs> watching youtube videos yes. um so it is easy to access it in that regard mm -hmm. but to do it safely and to really i don't i almost don't want to use the word correctly but to do it the right way where you're safe for everybody mm -hmm. it can be expensive um I don't know what the solution is to that, but there definitely needs to be, I think, awareness raised so those costs can start to come down so more people can do it. And so there is a little more of a market for it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that those everything costs money to put on. Um, so I get why it costs money. But yeah, to do, to do the sports is expensive. And like, that's also a bummer. Like mountaineering is such an expensive sport. Yeah. Like that's why it's like mostly like middle-aged, like white guys on expeditions yeah. who yeah. <laughs> like have money absolutely do it. it's not like you see like oh like a 23 year old who's yeah like, yeah i just bought this denali trip for myself yeah. yeah i had 12 grand laying around yeah yeah which leads to dawa sherpa mm -hmm. uh how did how did you that is an amazing story and i don't want to butcher it at all so i'd love <laughs> to just jump into like how did you meet her and, how, and tell the story and that's just yeah, another Lovely. perk of my outside internship, I was, there was a, I guess it was 2014, yeah, um, had like the most successful year on K2, like there was like a flurry of summit, it was like unheard of, I think like 40 people summited in the same summit window. Wow. And like, this is, yeah, K2, second tallest mountain in the world, really technically, yeah, technically way more difficult than Everest, it's way more dangerous, the, like, I think it's like a one in four death rate if like you yeah. look at the numbers, um, it is not trivial. Um, so she climbed it with two other women. So it was an all-female team from Nepal. And I was covering people who summited that year. And so I met her there, um, which is there is Facebook Messenger. <laughs> um, and so I just interviewed her for that and was sort of following her along. Um, and I learned that she was pursuing her IFMGA. Um, so that's like the gold standard of guiding cert certifications um and they have it in i don't know how many countries but she was pursuing hers in nepal and she would if she finished it she'd be the first nepalese woman to do it and like the ifmga is like i think it's like 
1.5% of the IFMGA guides are women. The numbers are really low. It's mostly mostly men. God. Um, in the U.S., I think there's like 12 women now and like 100 out of 140, something like that. Um, and she was, she did it when she was 27, I want to say. Like she was young. Um, wow. And I thought that was awesome. So I was sort of, I was like, at first, outside rejected my pitch to profile her. Oh, <laughs> I was like, really? what? And then like a month later, I got an email. They're like, actually, do you want to do that? And I was like, yes. Like, I was already yeah. going to do it. I was going to do it regardless. <laughs> I just hadn't re- re-pitched it yet. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's usually when I write stories, I can Google and see, you know, other coverage of the person. And sure. Especially in writing a, writing a profile, like I needed to understand her pretty well. So I spent... We spent so much time on the phone, um, and I met with her in person multiple times. Like, I followed her up Mount Baker when she was guiding, because um, I wanted to see her working. Oh, man, that's um, cool. Yeah, and did a couple interviews with her up there, um, tons of phone interviews when I was writing it, because I would just realize, like, I didn't know something, or I would talk to somebody else who knew her, and I was like, oh, that's a gap. Like, I haven't heard about that, so... She was very patient with me, but um, like shared basically, you know, she shared her whole life story with me from like the beginning to end. Oh my gosh. End to now. Um, and yeah, that was sort of one of my favorite stories for that reason. It was cool to learn more about her. She grew up in the Rowalling Valley in Nepal, which is really remote. Um, you, It's a couple day walk to get, you know, up and down and out. Oh, wow. Um, and it's cold. It's in like they're surrounded by tall mountains. <laughs> um, and she wanted to leave. She was like 13 and she didn't, she was not happy there. She couldn't see a life for herself there. Um, you know, the men would go um, and work on expeditions in the mountains and they would come back with like amazing stories and, you know, new things. And she saw that and she was like, I want. I want to do that. Like, I don't wow. want to be in this village, like picking potatoes. Like, so she didn't see a life for herself there. And there was a trekking group coming through town and they needed porters. They're hiring some from the village. And she was like me, <laughs> and, like, <laughs> carried a load in like the wrong shoes, goes over a really high snowy pass. Um, and then walked an extra day to her relative's house and, then had the money that she had made. She went to Kathmandu. It was enough to get her to Kathmandu, and she lived with family there. And then, you know, did some trekking, guiding, and then started just, like, up in the ante. And how old is she when she starts doing all this? Mm, I'd have to... I think she was not not that old, like, mm, late teens. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so she's been guiding for, you know in some way, shape or form for like 10 years. And she, um, you know, ended up working. She works, one of the companies she guides for is Alpine Ascents based out of Seattle. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. She's like one of maybe two Nepalese female guides in the U S that's incredible. Um, yeah. And she's young. I think she's probably 29 now because that's all old I am and we're roughly the same age. <laughs> um, yeah, Dawa's amazing and she uh, is on the North Face team now. Yeah, I saw that, which yeah. is uh, so great. Yeah. And uh, you, 
it's funny, and you, I mean, you'll probably cringe a little bit at this, <laughs> but like thinking of, of people like Dawa and like yourself that, where is it that that comes from to do, I hope this isn't like a buzzword, but those boundary pushing things. Mm. Um, so you said she recognizes at 13. I mean, most of us when we're 13, I, I, I imagine, are not thinking in terms of what we want our life to look like. I think I was like, oh, I want to be a firefighter mm-hmm. or an architect. So do you th- is it like your environment that creates that? Like, and if we draw from Dawa's story and your own story, is it an environmental thing? Like your parents are both journalists or is it just you're born with it? Like, what do you think that is? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, some people like figure out what they like younger than other people. Yeah. Um, but you sort of just like, I feel like I usually just like know when I should do something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's so, that's so vague. And like, I don't know. I can't, can't speak for, for Dawa and I don't know what type of like foresight she had, but I think, you know, maybe it was just as simple as like looking around being like, I don't like this. Yeah. Um, so she certainly didn't see other females working in the mountains by any means, but she saw females working at home and she didn't like that. And she knew she liked hearing the stories from the men that would come back and she's like okay I like that yeah um and yeah she sort of just like she would like climb a mountain and then she'd like climb another one and then another one she was like she climbed Everest in 2012 and I think at that time I think she told me like I thought I would just like do that and be done and then it's just like nope hell yeah she climbed you know she went and climbed K2 like right now she's guiding Ama de Blom like she's just (laughs) Jesus Anna hits a keynote here as to why I love this podcast and these conversations so much. Boundary-pushing humans forging bravely ahead in face of hardship, struggle, and uncertainty. They know what they are capable of, and even if the world isn't ready, they refuse to wait. The world will just have to figure it out. In fact, as I listen back through these episodes during the post-process, I find myself wondering, what's next? What's the next thing I can do to ensure that I leave a positive impact on this world? Oftentimes, in the middle of editing, I'll fire off a flurry of text messages and emails to my cohort about new and exciting ideas. They are wonderful for putting up with my ramblings. Anna and I continue to chat along these same lines about staying the course even when the course may not actually be supported by anyone else about simply doing exactly what you know to be right. And that's where we come back to the conversation. With Dawa, I think I got assigned it at like 2,000 words. It was like closer to 5,000 words. I got a very small travel budget that I blew out of the water for sure. I mean, I just spent my own money. And I I spent way more time than like was mandated. But I I really loved the story, and she's amazing, and I wanted to do it right. I love that. Um... So that didn't matter to me. Like, you should, you know, find the work that you would do for free because you <laughs> like it, but don't yeah. do it for free. Um, but that's sort of how that one felt. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't care if I get paid for this one. I just really am excited about telling the story. And like, I shot a video to go along with it. I didn't have to do that. I just wanted to. <laughs> I love that. And uh, that's like, that's how you know what you're doing is what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. It's like, to hell with all these restraints. I'm just going to do what I need to do to make sure it's done the right way. Yeah. And it's not always like that. I don't always try that hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's it's cool that, I mean, that like a story like that that I get really excited about is like 
maybe once a year. When I was younger, I was like, I want to find a st- something that I like like every month, <laughs> yeah. um, which is really naive. But um, I think like once a year to find a project or a story or a thing that like really captivates you, that's like a pretty good, pretty good number, I think. I think so. Because unfortunately, I think a lot of people, well, I, I, I don't want to speak for everyone. I know from my experience that you would seek any experience once a year that was worthy of getting excited about. And that was usually a vacation. Mm-hmm. And then that was just kind of like living in excess for a week or so Yeah, to go back and try to, you know, get through everything. So I think to have a story and a project and something and a connection that you have the opportunity to make with a person or a group of people mm-hmm. and, and put that out there is just so special. I mean, watching sacred strides, I, uh, I mean, I was very moved by it as as a human being, as a runner, as someone who loves the natural world. But witnessing these indigenous tribes come together for something greater than the sum of their Mm -hmm. individual parts was phenomenal. And knowing that you went rogue to tell the story on that one gave me a lot of respect for, for what you had done and putting yourself out there because... How else would a story like that be told, right? If somebody's not willing to take the chance and say, I don't care if I, this gets through a sponsor or not, this has to be told. Yeah, we wanted to do the story justice and that needed, it needed certain things. Yeah. But yeah, we wanted, we wanted to do a good job and yeah. it costs some money to do a good job. Yeah. I, that, that's a, a really cool layer too, not to be like too political, but I love that you didn't ask permission to do this because these folks were fighting something that they were not asked permission to give. Yeah. The giving up of their land yeah. was taken from them. And we got permission to do the, the story from outside. We just took took it a little bigger yeah. than we thought and had agreed to. Um, the rebellion of storytelling is also pretty great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, they, these tribes are yeah fighting. A, like they had been so triumphant when they got, you know, bear's ears as a, declared a monument that's a big um act of coming together like those the tribes historically like they're not like all buddy buddy they don't yeah. get along super well so they like had to put aside their personal differences to do that um and even with this run like it's not like like everybody came from different tribes and it was a big deal yeah. to come together in that way um yeah just like the bears ears intertribal coalition was a big deal this was like a similar big deal um you know, people are talking about running for something bigger than than them, and you know they these the land was theirs before it was ever a monument. Hell yeah! And before it was designated anything, and yeah, watching you know a lot a, most of that event is not on film, and it was really cool to watch. Um, oh, I bet people come together and yeah, and uh, like they they people took a week off work, like it wasn't like oh it's a saturday like we'll go and do this run like that was like people put a ton of effort in to organize it um and to execute it and to collaborate on it and took time away from work and all of these things so it was it was cool to see that you know people who didn't run ran yeah and it meant a lot to people to do that and be there and it was meant a lot to watch it was an awesome thing to watch yeah
The original Bears Ears National Monument included more than 300 uranium mining claims. On December 4th of 2017, Trump reduced that monument by 1.3 million acres or 85%. The lion's share of those uranium claims lie outside the new boundaries. The funding trail to the bulk of those claims ends in Canada. The ancestral lands established as a national monument by the intertribal coalition of the Hopi tribe, Navajo Nation, Ute Mountain Ute Tribe, Pueblo of Zuni, and Ute Indian Tribe were stolen by the U.S. government to increase the wealth of non-Indigenous entities. To Gary Herbert, Ryan Zinke, and Donald Trump, I repeat the words of author Chuck Palahniuk. We'll be remembered more for what we destroy than what we create. And from Malcolm X, you show me a capitalist and I'll show you a bloodsucker. A lot of the stories that I'm attracted to are like, you know, people like doing something that's important to them and, (laughs) you know, not giving up. It's like, sounds pretty cliche, but you know, like Dawa failed a lot um, in getting her certification. Really? Yeah. She like, you know, she had to earn money to pay for it. And, you know, she wasn't successful on some of her exams the first time and had to redo it. Like she, um, it wasn't like a walk in the park for her. It was hard, but she was like, I'm like, I'm getting this. That's amazing. Yeah. That, and that, that level of conviction, you know, because we, you're right, we could say that not giving up is a cliche, but we need those cliches now more than ever because a lot of, a lot of what we're faced with is, is just not starting. Yeah. And once you start something, you never, you never give up, right? You might run into roadblocks that make it so you can't do it or you have to stop for reasons. But like, I don't know. I, I struggle yeah. with like the concept of both of those because I've talked harshly about giving up in the past and I've definitely been slapped by life to to maybe calm that down. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, I think that's good. Like keeping that in check. Cause I think you're, you're more inclined to not give up if you actually really care about something. Yeah. But definitely. you know, wanting, sometimes wanting to give up is a symptom that you should just, you should probably should, like it's not worth your time. Like, I'm a big fan of doing whatever I want, doing things <laughs> when I really want to. Um, you know, at one point in my life, I like really wanted to run a fast marathon. And I didn't do it. And then that like desire passed. Like, I'll never try and do that. I don't care about that anymore. <laughs> um, but I think that happens a lot. Like you, you really want to do something and then you don't do it. And then that sort of desire fades away. And then all of a sudden, like you haven't done any of the things that you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you might not care about it anymore. Like, I don't care about not running that marathon. But um, but you're you need to make a habit of trying and doing it when yeah, you want to yeah, do it. Yeah. If you're interested at all yeah. or like you're curious, like you should probably just do it because it, it might pass and then you, you'll you probably never, you it's, might never it's want It's funny to. like how insane it, how simple that is, but in putting that into action is not always that easy. But once you start that, it's super addicting to just, mm-hmm. and it's, we're both like making face, but to just do what you want when you want to. And it is a major privilege and advantage that, that some of us have. But I don't, I, it's hard to follow that up because mm-hmm. I know that it is, but boy, when you, when you find some way to make that happen, 
And like I say, even if it's something like running a very fast marathon, carving out the time to train, talking to people about how do you properly eat for this and how much rest do you need and all these things, it's a big undertaking. Mm -hmm. You're really dedicating a lot of time, but wow, even if it passes and it doesn't happen, you tried and you'll have the courage to do the next one and you'll know what it's like to commit to something like that. Yeah. I mean, when I was younger, I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to law school. So in college, I like... You know, I looked at the LSAT dates and I ordered all the books online and was like excited about it and excited about the idea. And then I sat down at the table and like started going through the books and I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. (laughs) And like, that was the first time that I actually, I think like thought about what I like actually wanted to do. (laughs) And I still didn't know. So I just went to grad school. (laughs) I love that. I've had numerous experiences like that where I'm all in and I get all the material I'm like oh crap (laughs) that was a neat idea (laughs) on to the next yeah and like sometimes you have to kind of suffer through unpleasant tasks but absolutely that one was like yeah nope I guess I don't want to be a lawyer anymore (laughs) and like five minutes before if someone's like do you want to be a lawyer and like yes you're all in right yeah and then I was like oh never mind (laughs) uh that's that's a that's a passion somewhere deep to to follow what you're doing to (laughs) yeah Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. So this is the perfect spot to uh, to whatever, anything we've not touched on, anything you want to tell me, message you want to send. Oh, yeah. I know. It's funny when you're just given like that, here's your open space for anything. It's like everything that you <laughs> want to say just goes away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of anything that would be remotely helpful. If you have a job, just like build up your side hustle on the side so you still have a steady paycheck. Yeah. Um, because what helps in freelancing is having something like a small contract or something that can pay your rent so you're not freaking out every month um, and like desperately emailing editors or potential clients or something like that. Like that's not a fun place to be. So like there are ways that you can try and eliminate certain stresses. And I think like like I'm like hyper prepared. Like I, I'm really good at saving. Like I have my, like my ducks in a row in that <laughs> regard. And if, and if I didn't, like the first time I was freelancing, like that was really stressful. Um, so it's like not just like vacay all the time. It sort of like feels that way, I guess. But like the thi- like things that suck, I think all freelancers sort of like agree on. Like it's isolating. Um, like I sometimes I don't talk to anyone all day. Um, you're not really collaborating that often unless, you know, you're working on a film project. That's why I like to do those. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's isolating. And, but the perk of that is you have freedom. So it's like, is it what I, you don't have, you know, you don't have stability. It's isolating, but you have freedom and that's right now worth it. Like I may, might wake up and be like, I want a salary job again. I want to work in an office with people and that's okay. You can like go back and forth. Totally. I've done that a, a couple of times. Like I was freelancing. I was like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to do it anymore. And it's got a real, real job. <laughs> I try not to say that because freelancing is a real job. Yeah. Even my parents told me I don't have a real job anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes my mom catches herself being like, if you get a real job, I mean, no, you have a real job. Sorry. <laughs> Like, no, it seems fine. I don't, it doesn't feel like a, it doesn't feel like a quote unquote real job. Because yes. It feels quite nice. Honestly. Heck yeah. Right? Yes. I, that's awesome. Anna, <laughs> thank you for taking the time to redo this. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, awesome. Thanks for having me, Cody. Oh no. This is the first of, 
of many projects we will hopefully yes. embark upon. It's nice to see your van. It's a nice van for everyone wondering. Oh, oh, thank you for, for, for yeah, saying there's that. there's some nice photos. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we're ready to go climb. Great. Let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> and that's the show. Anna Callahan, thank you so much for taking the time to record and re-record with the pod. Thank you once again to Prana for outfitting us for this adventure and for elevating these stories through their social media outlets. A special thank you to Greg Nowicki Photography and Bree Robles for capturing this adventure one frame at a time. And most of all, thank each and every one of you out there for tuning in, for stoking out, and for sharing the pod with your pals. We're almost a year old, and look at all we've achieved together. I'm stoked. You're stoked. Let's be stoked. The Wilder Mind Podcast is hosted and produced by yours truly. Theme music by the incredibly talented Alexis Tia. Branding by the amazing Finletter Creative. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whoever you're there with, to your wildest self, be true. I can fear what I don't know. Ignore what's inside of me. Illuminations on something bold. Restless soul will follow.